Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, like Pastor Mike said earlier, my name's Chase. Uh, I am from the Cleveland area. I'm planting a church in Macedonia, Ohio. So if you're familiar with Northeast Ohio at all, if you draw a line between Cleveland and Akron, Macedonia is right in the middle of that. And so that's where I'm coming from this morning. But I'm excited uh, to be here to open up God's Word with you. I've known uh, Mike since high school. Uh, he was a senior when I was a freshman. Uh, but... Uh, uh, when he was in the youth group, he invited five of us over uh, to his house just to kind of pour into us, and and uh, four of the five that he invited over are in vocational ministry now, and one is a, a very committed servant in the church as well, and so it's just incredible to see what the Lord has done through him, and you guys are extremely blessed uh, to have him as your pastor. <laughs> That's right. Uh, if, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to First Peter. <coughs> 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And I'm going to read, uh, starting in 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 13, to the end of the chapter. So 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile." knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was forsaken before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every person that you've brought here today, Lord. I pray uh, that in this moment that you will speak through me, uh, that I might become less, you might become greater. Lord, I pray that you will reveal us truths this morning about ourselves and about you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Mankind has always had a fascination with aliens. 
No, it's a weird way to start a sermon, but it's true, right? There's tons of science fiction movies and, and novels that all have to do with extraterrestrials. Actually, on the, the History Channel I saw not too long ago, History Channel, which the name doesn't really describe what they actually show, but uh, it's full of people who describe themselves as xenoarchaeologists. That is the study of extraterrestrial culture. So not even just the study of extraterrestrials, but the study of extraterrestrial culture. Surveys uh, show that about a third of all Americans think alien spaceships are real. And as many as 10% of the population claims to have seen alien spaceships. Uh, just this past week, I was in uh, Las Vegas for a pastor conference uh, on prayer, believe it or not, and uh, several of the pastors in our group, as soon as the, the conference was over, uh, we were there for an extra day, and we had just finished praying, and so we're like, we need to get as far away from Las Vegas as we can, and so we found that um, that Area 51 was two miles from Las Vegas, and so we're like, we got to go. So if you, if you know, uh, Area 51 is a top secret government. Government uh, Air Force Base, and uh, at Air, what they do there is uh, actually I don't know what they do there because it's top secret, but <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of people think there's aliens and it's just kind of the the hub of conspiracy theories, and so we looked up online on how to get to Area 51, and uh, we we found the, the shadiest website of all, but it told us to go to this restaurant and then go 1.7 miles past it and turn down this gravel dirt road, and it seemed like a terrible idea. So we did it and, and, and we were driving 10 miles down the dirt road and we came to the back gate of area 51 and the lights were on and there's all these warning signs and, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> so why am I talking about aliens? Well, the Bible tells us in many ways that in many ways we as Christians are like aliens uh, Jesus said in John chapter 18, you don't have to turn there, we'll be camping out in First Peter, what we read earlier, but in John chapter 18, Jesus is on trial uh, before Pilate, he's about to be executed, and Jesus tells, uh, tells everyone that his kingdom is not of this world. And if we are followers of Christ and members of Jesus' kingdom, then that means that we are not of this world. The Apostle Paul echoes this in Philippians chapter 3 when he's comparing and contrasting followers of Christ. And, and he says, he's talking about people who are enemies of Christians in Philippians 3.19. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. So yes, obviously we live here on the earth, but our earthly lives are nothing but a vapor, according to the book of James. Our true home is not in this world. And so if we are followers of Christ, then we got we to gotta kind of shift our minds from, from focusing on what we think is most important, what's happening here on the earth, to what is yet to come. And this whole notion of our citizenship not being here on earth is the, the heartbeat, the theme of the book of First Peter. When Peter addresses his book, he addresses it to the exiles in the beginning of 1 Peter. Some translations actually use the word alien. So Peter's reminding us as his readers that this is not our home. That we belong somewhere else. That we belong to someone else. This is not our home. This is, this is good news. But it's also kind of rough news, right? It's, it's good news because the world is broken. 
This world is falling apart. If our only hope is in this world that's, that's falling apart and broken, then that's not good news. So the good news that we're not of this earth is, is that the, the earth is broken. There's trials. I wrote down a few uh, list of them here. There's pain, sorrow, heartache, addiction, wars, poverty, suffering, death, just to name a few. And just because we're followers of Christ doesn't mean that we're exempt to the trials and the pain of the earth. So it's good news that this is not our home, but it's also rough news because this world is growing increasingly anti-Christian. I read a few statistics this week that highlight uh, that fact. I want to share some of them with you. One in four Americans say they are done with the church. Half of all Americans, so even some who still go to church, say that God plays no role in their life whatsoever. Generation Z, so people born after 1996, so if you're 24 or younger, you're part of Generation Z. Of that generation, 34% identify as atheist, agnostic, or non-religious. This is the highest uh, for that stat in any generation in the history of the U.S., Let's take it outside of the United States. There are 245 million Christians who live in a place where they face high levels of of persecution. 245 million. Every month, 105 Christian churches are attacked, burned, or vandalized. And the last one here. Every day, every single day, 11 Christians around the world are killed for their faith. I was sharing this message in, uh, in India in February, and I was speaking to a bunch of uh, pastors who are from India, and I asked them, how many of you have been persecuted for your faith? And they just laughed, because to them, that's such a real uh, thing that they can't, they can't picture any other possibility. So why am I sharing this with you this morning? I mean, it's kind of a depressing way to kick off the time, but what I want you to realize this morning, what I want you to know is that we are not of this world. We are not of this world. And if we're not careful, you know, in our context here in America, we, we come to, to churches that have buildings and, and budgets and, and staffs and temperature controlled buildings. And it, it can start to get, we start to get comfortable or we can start to bury our heads in the sand and forget that this is not our home. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together, uh, using the passage that we read earlier in 1 Peter, is, is look at four characteristics of a follower of Christ who is not of this world. Four characteristics of a resident alien. So that, that's the, the title, if you're a note taker, that's the title of this message and the outline. Four characteristics of a resident alien. And the first one is this. A resident alien is marked by mental preparation. A resident alien is marked by mental preparation. Peter, he's writing this letter in the midst of severe persecution. The emperor at the time is Nero. Nero's kind of like that guy who liked to take everything too far, right? In fact, that's an that's a understatement. Nero, uh, historians believe he's the one who burned down Rome. Like, think about that. Like He didn't just burn down his house, he burned down Rome. And uh, historians say that as Rome was burning, he walked through the flames playing an instrument. And then he decided to try and pass the blame off to someone else. So he, uh, he, he got all the Christians and tortured them until they confessed to doing something that they didn't do so that everyone would hate them. And it's in this context that Peter is writing this letter to Christians who had to be feeling completely and utterly hopeless. 
And look at what he says in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, prepare your mind for action. The, the King James says, gird up your loins, which is why we don't use the King James, because no one knows what that means. If you just go to someone and say, gird up your loins, that's not good. But, but what that means is, is back when this was written, people would wear tunics that went down to their ankles. And so when they were preparing for battle, they would roll up the tunics to their waist so that they could move left to right, forward and back, so that they weren't restricted. And so this is the imagery that, that Peter wants his readers uh, to realize, this military language. And so just as a soldier pulls up the loose parts of his, gar- of his garment to, to prepare for action, we need to pull every area of our life, all of our thoughts together for action. That's why Peter tells us to be sober-minded. Right? He's not talking about not being drunk or, or intoxicated. There's other passages in Scripture that deal with that. But what he's talking about is we need to prepare our minds, prepare our hearts. All of our thoughts need to be under control. One commentator said it like this. It's essential that if Peter's readers were successfully to resist the dangers that confronted them, they must cut off loose flowing thoughts and speculations that hamper obedience. And he said, I love this part. Loose thinking creates loose living. Mental sloppiness ends in moral disaster. Mental sloppiness ends in moral disaster. When I was young, uh, my, my dad, when I would get in trouble or any of my siblings would get in trouble, usually it was me, uh, he, my dad would lecture us and he'd give us this speech and it would always end the same way. Whatever we did, he'd say, that's not the discipline. He didn't say you're undisciplined or you're lacking discipline. He said that's not the discipline. He used the definite article to, to reinforce to us that, that discipline was what, that the lack of discipline there is what caused us to get in that situation. That we needed to be disciplined in that situation. And because we didn't have the discipline in that situation, then we were in trouble. That's kind of what Peter's getting at here. That our mental preparation is key because once we've prepared mentally, uh, then we're instructed in the text here to set our eyes on Jesus. To set our hope on Jesus. But that comes after we've been disciplined mentally when we disciplined our thoughts. Because if we have other thoughts that are occupying our mind, then we can't set our mind on the hope that is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, is there anything, uh, any boundaries maybe that we need to set up for ourselves? Or is there anything hindering us in in thinking pure thoughts? Is there people that we're hanging out with or, or things that we're watching or things that we're doing that are stopping us from preparing our hearts and our minds and focusing on Jesus? So how do we prepare mentally? Well, that leads to the second point. A resident alien is marked by personal holiness. So a resident alien is, a resident alien is marked by mental preparedness. And a resident alien is marked by personal holiness. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. See, we're called to be holy. Now, no, Peter doesn't say here, uh, be holy in order to become children. He calls us children and then says, obedient children, be, be holy. See, we can't miss that because if, if we skip right over that, we can easily lead to a Christianity that leads to a system of do's and don'ts. 
thinking that it's our, our, our holiness that, that gets us to be children of God. But no, it's because we are children that we're called to be holy. You can't get to heaven just by trying to be holy, by trying. You can't get to heaven simply by striving to be holy. God's, God's works, uh, God doesn't want us to try and get to heaven just based on our works alone. We get to heaven because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We pour our trust in him, not in our good works. But still, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we should be growing and trying to become more like him. The old saying says, we'll we'll never be sinless, but the closer we grow to the Lord, the more we sin less. Notice the part of the verse that says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the passions of what you used to do. This goes back to to being disciplined, to to preparing our mind. When we become followers of Christ, we're, we're new creations. Isn't that what Paul tells us in Corinthians? The old is gone. The new has come. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. So a resident alien is marked by, by mental preparedness. A resident alien is marked by personal holiness. And thirdly, a resident alien is marked by godly reverence. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct, your, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile throughout the time of your exile. Some translations actually use the word alien there. See, Peter gives us a mixed motivation for why we should be marked with godly reverence. First of all, we call God father. The fact that we can call God father is a wonderful thing because that means that we are his children and a father, a loving father cares for his children. I have a two year old daughter and she woke up sick yesterday and they, my wife and her were hoping to come up here, but they couldn't because she was a, a sick mess. And when I saw her, just a ball of snot and hair, <laughs> right, it broke my heart. I, I was sad for her. My heart breaks for her. Why? Because I love her, because I care for her. God the Father, he cares for us more than any earthly father can care for their children. And so Peter says, as we address the Father... He's also the one who impartially judges. And that we should conduct ourselves with fear because of that. Now, the, the fear that, that Peter is talking about doesn't mean that we should uh, look to God and just be shaken in our boots, that we should be terrified in the same way we'd be terrified if we watched a horror movie or something like that. No, he's talking about reverence, fear that leads to reverence. I heard an illustration a while ago about a boy who was uh, misbehaving with his friends and his friends uh, were continuing to, to do all this stuff, and he realized he shouldn't be doing it, so he stopped. And his friends were making fun of, fun of him, and they said, you're just afraid of your father, aren't you? You're just afraid that your father might hurt you. And the boy said, no, I'm afraid that if I do all this, I might hurt my father. So that's the, the fear that Peter's talking about here, that, that we don't do what's right because we're trying to just escape from punishment, but we do what's right because we have a holy reverence towards God. I played football at Ohio Northern University. And during the off season, there were optional workouts. And uh, one summer I stayed on campus over the summer. And so there were two coaches that would open up the, the locker room for us to work out in the off season. And I went to all of them for two different reasons. 
See, one of the coaches was my position coach. And so I knew that if he saw me not there, even though they were optional workouts, it wouldn't look good. And so my fear of him possibly impeding playing time or whatever it might be caused me to go to the workout. However, there was another coach that, that didn't work with my position, and he was just a, a, a guy that poured into us as players, both on the field and off, off the field. And I knew that he deeply cared for us. And so I went to those workouts as to not disappoint him. I went to those workouts out of, out of reverence for him. See, when we're committed to holiness, when we're committed to, to serving the Lord, when we're committed to doing what God wants us to do, we need to make sure that this isn't just out of fear of punishment from God but that it's directed by holy reverence towards God. And then lastly, a resident alien is marked by Christian love. A resident alien is marked by Christian love. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Remember, again, the, the readers at the time that Peter was writing this were going through severe persecution. The world didn't like them, and so uh, they should be loving each other. Have you ever been to a different country or a different city and seen someone that's wearing something from where you're from? When I was in Dallas, I'm, I'm a Cleveland sports fan, sorry, but when I, was in, when I was in Dallas living there for five years, whenever I saw someone wearing any sort of Cleveland sports thing, I would go up and talk to them. Why? Because we both weren't from there. There was an instant connection. And then he, the guy that I met who was wearing some Cleveland stuff, he introduced me uh, to other people that were wearing Cleveland sports stuff. Right? And we had that connection down there. And that's the same how it should be with us as followers of Christ. We shouldn't be as divided. And, and it's sad to me that when you Google Christian, why are Christians so? The first thing to autofill is so mean to each other. Why are Christians so mean or so mean to each other? See, that's how the world looks at us as people that are, are just always bickering and are always fighting. But what, what Peter's reminding us here is that we should be filled with brotherly love. Because as the world looks down on us, we should be encouraging each other. It's like the old hymn, they'll, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And the implication of verses 22 and 23 is that this new love is the necessary result of new birth. But it's not automatic. It has to be nurtured. Which leads back to the first point. That we need discipline, that we need to mentally prepare ourselves. So if a resident alien is marked by mental preparation, by personal holiness, by godly reverence and Christian love, then what does that mean for us today? What what truth can we take out of this passage this morning? Well, the truth for you this morning is that we should be driven by the urgent message of the gospel to see lives transformed by Jesus. See, we should realize that we've been given a new hope, just like we just sang about that, that new living, that living hope. We've been given a hope. We realize that this isn't our our world. We should allow others to experience that same kind of hope. I don't know if you guys knew this, but the first song that we sang, I I didn't even know we were going to sing it today, um, that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. That hymn was written uh, by a guy in India, a guy who was in India, and uh, he, he he was being persecuted for his faith. And the village leader came in and told him, hey, either you need to reject your faith or we're going to kill your family. We're going to kill your wife. And he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. 
and they executed his wife in front of him. And then they brought, the, they brought his children out, and they asked him the same question, and he said, even if none go with me, I will still follow. But I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. What kind of hope is it that people can have in the midst of those kind of situations and still realize uh, that, that God is in control and realize that God is someone worth following? Is someone who realizes that this is not their home. And so we as followers of Christ should be doing everything we can to live on mission so that other people can experience the same hope that we've experienced. That's our mission. And when we look at the world and we see the, the brokenness, and we look at the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ who experience hope, we should be trying to share that hope with everyone else. See, the people who are outside of these walls don't need us to tell them that the world is broken. And all you need to do is open up a, a newspaper or, or turn on the news and look at the statistics of poverty and, and, and the divorce rate and drug overdoses and, and addiction. And everyone realizes that the world is broken, but in here we're claiming to have the solution to that brokenness. Like I said at the start, we live in a seemingly hopeless world. And maybe we even came in here today feeling the weight of that hope, hopelessness. Feeling the burden of grief and weighed down by guilt. What I want to do is just remind you that this world is not ours. That we can be encouraged in the midst of all the brokenness. And 1 Peter is written not to tell us that we as Christians get a free pass to escape from all of this. But 1 Peter is written to tell us that it will cost us to be Christians. It will cost us to share the gospel. It will cost us to do good. But Peter's reminding his listeners that even, in their, even though they're in the midst of persecution, they should stand firm. Because listen to me, there is a day coming when Jesus will return. And our faithful obedience and endurance to the word of God will prove the reality of our faith. And I know that life's hard right now, and I don't want to stand here and try and act like I know exactly what you're going through, because I don't. But what I do know is that there is a God in heaven who chose me before the foundations of the world were set into place. And I know that when Jesus will return, I will spend eternity with him. And that when I die, I will spend eternity with Jesus, eternity with God. And if, if you are a follower of Christ, you will as well. And that is our living hope. And so whatever you came in here with today, I need to ask you, do you have that hope? And if you do, are you sharing that with others? I heard a story when I was down in Dallas uh, from, from one of my pastors down there. Uh, and he told a story, an illustration, uh, of a guy who was a newlywed. It was a newlywed couple. And the couple was uh, heading to their, the wedding had just ended, and they were heading off to spend their first evening together as a married couple. So they're heading to the hotel just in, in marital, marital bliss, driving on a one-lane highway, Husband was driving, and he went to pass a truck in front of him. And what he didn't see was that there was an oncoming truck on the other side. And so the inevitable happened. He, cr he crashed head on into the, into the truck. And the car flipped over into the ditch, and they were both instantly knocked unconscious. The husband came to first, and he looked over and saw his, his beautiful bride just gushing with blood. He got out of the car. He didn't have a cell phone. He was trying to figure out what to do. And he looked up at the hill. And, and just so it would have it up there, at the top of the hill was a sign that said, Office of Dr. Bill Jones. 
So he thought, this is a terrible situation, but there, there's a doctor up there. So he went and he scooped his wife and he, he ran up to the top of the hill and he knocked on the door. And this elderly gentleman came to the door and said, may I help you? And he's holding his, his new bride and he says, save her, please save her. And the elderly gentleman took off his glasses and said, I am so sorry. I quit practicing years ago. And the young man looked at the older man and said, Sir, you have two choices. Either save her or take down your sign. All of us in here today, if we are followers of Christ, we are claiming to have the only solution to a world that's broken and dying. And so for all of us in here, we have two choices. Either we do everything we can to share our hope with others. Either we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are broken, with those who are dying, with those who are hurting, and saying, hey, this isn't our home. I know that you're in a bad situation right now, but you can have hope because you have another home to look forward to. Or we take down our signs and stop calling ourselves followers of Christ. Which one will it be? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's amazing that a a book that was written thousands of years ago can speak directly into our lives today. Lord, if there's anyone in here that's hurting or coming from a broken relationship or, or, or situation, Lord, I pray that they will feel your presence in here this morning. Lord, that you will make yourself real to them. Lord, for those of us who are followers of Christ, I pray that you will identify people in our lives that we can share the good news of your son Jesus Christ with. That we can share the hope that you've given us with others. Lord, I pray that you will open up the missionary eyes of your people this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.